Welcome to the podcast. The biggest artist in music and all their greatest hits. Streaming everywhere on iHeartRadio. Just search Gold FM. Nothing but sport. Join Darcy Waldegrave on the biggest hour of sport. It's Sports Talk, 7 to 8 p.m. Tuesday to Friday. Opinion and interviews. All the sport you can handle. Listen and follow on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. News Talk ZB. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with 120 years global agribusiness experience. Grow with Rabobank. A very good morning, New Zealand. Welcome into the best of the country, brought to you every Saturday morning by Rabobank, the world's leading food and agribusiness bank. You too can grow with a bank that grows farmers, and what a big week it has been for farmers. Thousands upon thousands of trucks, of tractors, of utes, of dogs, of farmers, of those concerned about the amount of legislation being heaped upon New Zealanders in a very short space of time, turned out uh, for the howl of a protest, 57 centres right around the country, streets brought to a halt, was kind of one of the unintended consequences there. They did still want people to be able to go where they are going, but the howl of a protest was just beyond any of the organisers' wildest dreams. Uh, but today we look back on the best interviews from the week here on The Country. So we're going to kick it off with Farmer Tom Martin. Uh, we're headed to the UK to talk to our very disappointed but proud UK farming correspondent about football, about farming and about unshackling the COVID lockdown chains on July 19th. So that is up first. We're also going to catch up with David Seymour, Act Party Leader, to find out if he is really the de facto leader of the opposition. Jane Smith, North Otago farmer, award-winning environmentalist, is a bit worried about being cancelled because of her free speech. We head to Australia to catch up with Justin Sherrard, Rabobank's usually Netherlands-based global strategist for animal protein. He's in COVID lockdown in Sydney. He's gone from MIQ to lockdown, did not time that well, to discuss the opportunities at the global pandemic presents for New Zealand beef and sheep farmers. We're also going to catch up with Derek Daniel, one of New Zealand's sheep breeders who is right up there at the top. He is up in arms about the tidal wave of regulations hitting farmers. He was going to head along to that howl of a protest yesterday. We caught up with him in the lead-in to that. And also Tony Laker. Now this is a heartwarming interview. It's with a travel agent with cancer, an incredible man facing great adversity who reckons he has struck the jackpot. My name is Rowena Duncan, standing in for Jamie Mackay, who's still making his way back from that hell of a protest. You are with the best of the country, which screens every Saturday morning, broadcasts maybe, not screens, on Newstalk ZB, Hokanui, Gold AM and iHeartRadio. Thanks to Rabobank. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with a huge network of progressive farming clients. Rabobank. To the victors, the spoils. Well, let's go to the UK now where they got oh so close. Our correspondent is farmer Tom Martin from just north of London. Tom, did you head down to Wembley to watch the football? <laughs> no, I would have loved to, but uh, I was just at a mate's house this evening and uh, what a game, what a game. 
I just felt sorry for that 19-year-old kid having to come up and take the last penalty, and I'm sure he's a great footballer, and Gareth Southgate knows what he's doing, but, gee, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Sport can be so brutal. I think brutal's the word. I mean, the poor chap, he's, he's, Saka's played amazingly for the entire tournament, um, and, and, and yet his kick actually sends us sends us out into into second place. It's it's so tough. And equally, there were two other players substituted on in the last 30 seconds of extra time just to take penalties, uh, and both their penalties were saved. So, um, yeah, brutal's the word. What do you think the feedback will be from the British media? I know they can be equally brutal on the, the English football players, but they've got to cut them some slack on this one because I thought, like Sir Harry Kane and Gareth Southgate, were outstanding leading leading the Palms through this thing. I just thought they showed courage. I just think you should be proud of your team. I, I certainly am proud of them. I think they've done uh, an absolutely cracking job. I think Southgate as a manager has barely put a foot wrong. Um, perhaps a, a couple of earlier substitutions in the final, but but really, he's, just the way he's handled himself, his demeanour, his humility, as you say, um, has just been uh, faultless. And, and, and actually, that's um, really been reflected in, in the players. There aren't any superheroes. They're all just great team members. And, uh, and I think that's what's carried them so far, especially a young team, so far in this tournament. Yeah, and you would hardly know that Wimbledon was happening. All the attention was, of course, on the football. Djokovic, uh, three from three, he's going for the Grand Slam, not achieved since Rod Laver's day. What a great story that is. But every time you have Wimbledon, Tom, from a farming point of view, you get rain. It's a good rainmaker. How are you getting on? How's your summer season going in the UK? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I don't want to sound like a sore loser, but there was an Italian beaten at Wimbledon today, so that's, <laughs> that's some consolation. But uh, yeah, it, it, of course, Wimbledon's bought, bought the rain. Uh, it's not been too bad in the in the last couple of weeks, but we have had some um, some pretty intense showers, um, a lot of humidity um, and heat bringing those on. But we're really looking at uh, at a couple of dry weeks now, which will just just push us into harvest. I imagine right down in the southwest in Cornwall, perhaps they've started on some of their winter sown barley. But uh, we'll we'll be probably two two to three weeks off, and and for us that's uh, that's a harvest that's a week or two later. But of course, when we spoke in April, we'd had 23 ground frosts uh, in in the month of April, which is which is you know completely unheard of and and, and delayed our harvest, uh, well delayed our growing season. So what sort of returns are you likely to get from your arable farming this year? Are you going to make a fortune? <laughs> I, I think not, although although that said, the crops, we have had an incredibly wet winter. I mean, really, it's we've been breaking records really for the last couple of years, but we had a, a, a wet summer, wet autumn going into a very wet winter, uh, and that just caused us a lot of problems. But I think the crops that have come well through the winter uh, are still looking well. Uh, and, of course, you know, our maritime climate... Um, we, you know, we get sunshine and we get showers. So um, the ones that have come through the winter well are, are, are looking in good order. Yeah. What about the livestock farming side of your operation? How is that looking? Well, they, they thrive with uh, with sunshine and showers, and, and so Wimbledon fortnight. Uh, and actually, the weather we've had uh, of late, you know, re- really, really suits them. The, the grounds, uh, uh, the grounds, not too firm. Um, but um, they've, seen, they've had plenty of sun on their backs, and, uh, and the grass is, is, is fantastic, sweet at the moment. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all happy uh, and in good order. The flies are just coming in. You always forget about that, don't you? Summertime, but the flies are coming in the summertime. But um, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're just starting to, uh, to annoy the livestock at the moment. But, um, but otherwise, everyone in good order. And Tom Martin, just finally, you're a week away from opening up the UK. Basically, Boris is going to unshackle you from the 
chains of COVID. A lot of you have been vaccinated. Have you had your two jabs? Yeah, I've got double jabbed, um, and I'm uh, you know I'm still spring chicken, but we're we're getting down to the to, to the younger guys and girls now. So I think we're about two thirds double jabbed and and well into the eighties in terms of uh, adults that have had their first jab. So well, yeah, I think we'll open up a, a week on uh, Monday, so a week today your time, and uh, we'll we'll just see that there is talk of there still being uh, uh, some some strong guidance, some firm guidance regarding masks in crowded situations. But apart from that, we are opening up and. And, and what they've really been following is, uh, well, a number of things, but really the hospital admissions, um, which remains, thankfully, low at the moment. We're not doing quite well as you guys, but um, uh, we, we came from a very poor start and uh, hopefully we're, we're, we're doing well with the vaccines. Hey, Farmer Tom Martin, thank you very much for your time. Commiserations uh, to the three lions. I thought they were courageous is the word I'm looking for throughout uh, the Euro 2020, or is it 21 tournament i'm i'm confused anyhow but uh well done and uh better luck next time thank you the best of the country with rabobank the bank with local agri-banking experts passionate about the future of rural communities rabobank david seymour is the act party leader but is he the de facto leader of the opposition after that latest umr poll which has him more popular as a preferred pm than judith collins what say you david seymour well, it's two years to the election. We're running a marathon here, and um, if you hoot and holler every time you run a fast 100 metres, you get so tired you might not finish. So, oh, look, I mean, the only thing I'd say is, you know, in one poll, um, people are saying that they want X to play a bigger role and, and show some leadership, rolling back some of the craziness that this government seems to bring out on an almost weekly basis now but also showing a better way forward that actually allows the people who pay the bills in this country uh, to see the leadership reflecting their efforts. And um, beyond that, um, we've just got to focus on the the issues before us this week. Why don't you just change teams, become a NAT, and then you might be the leader of the opposition? Well, I think for one thing, you know, the current situation we have with a a single party in power um, has only happened once in 25 years at NNP. And the way that the results that we're seeing from it, I'm not sure that the public are going to be keen to have that happen again. There's always going to need to be a coalition of parties. And I think that the right uh, is going to be stronger if you've got an ACT party there too, um, because we often raise issues and take positions that the Nats either can't or won't. I just look at the last government, you know, last time we were in government, um, you look at things like three strikes, you look at 90-day trials, you look at um, charter schools, um, those are the things that ACT brought to the table um, with five and sometimes only one MP. Um, You know, at the moment we've got 10. Um, The polls say that we'd have 15. We don't take that for granted, but if we keep working towards a bigger ACT, then um, you could have a change of government, but also quite a change of direction. And I think we've needed that for a while. Um, you know, under Clark and Key, uh, we sort of was all much of a muchness. We can't afford for the next government to bed in Jacinda Ardern's policies the way that uh, John Key bedded in Helen Clark's. Um, and that's why you need ACT to be a strong and independent voice in any future government. I take it you'll be involved in some shape, form or other in the hell of a protest on Friday. This thing has really got legs. Yeah, and it's been a long time coming. I mean, you know, one farmer put it to me, really summed it up a couple of months ago now. They said, look, we're facing an avalanche of regulation from a Wellington establishment that not only doesn't understand us, but it's actually often openly hostile. 
mean, you look at, say, James Shaw's comments about Pākehā farmers that don't want any regulations. It's so far from the truth. And since when was that kind of language acceptable when, you know, the Green Party's world of doublespeak and right-think? Um, I, I, I'm not surprised that there's so much of a groundswell coming out, and I take my hat off to groundswell, and I'm proud to say that um, myself and X nine other MPs, all, all ten of us will be at events up and down New Zealand come Friday. Are we going, well, we, we know we're going far too slow on the vaccination rollout, but we're going soft on people who won't get vaccinated. Why don't we just play hardball, David Seymour, have a COVID passport so if you haven't been vaccinated, you can't go to a restaurant, the movies, a gym, a concert or church or any public gathering at all. Let's put the pressure on New Zealanders to take one for the team of five million. Well, I think one thing the government needs to do is actually give people a better way of identifying that they have been vaccinated. Um, at the moment, they give you a tatty card. When I got mine, they said, look, you've got to uh, take a photo of it because you'll probably lose it. I said, yeah, that's probably true. But, um, you know, why don't you already have what other countries have where you can actually show um, with some sort of digital app or some sort of more robust identification uh, that you've had the vaccine? And then you can start to use that for things like working at the border. I mean, you know, I'm not into giving everybody an identity card or anything like that. Um, but if you want to work at the border where you're at the greatest risk of contracting and passing on COVID, forcing us all back into lockdown, uh, then, you know, that should have been sorted months ago. The Prime Minister said it would be sorted in April. Now she's saying it's going to be sorted in August. I mean, this whole COVID response from the government is in slow motion. Uh, they're not using technology. They're not working with private businesses, especially not the vaccine companies. They've clearly screwed up the contracts there. Uh, so look, do, do we need overall vaccine passports? Maybe not. Um, but do we need to be able to actually show that we're vaccinated uh, so that we can work in areas that are important, uh, such as at the border? Uh, do we need clear rules so that we can actually enforce the government's strategy so that we can all get our way of life back and get back to normalcy? Uh, absolutely. And at this point, uh, it's almost as though the government doesn't want New Zealand to return to normalcy. That's why the Australians have got a plan and we don't. Jamie Mackay there with David Seymour, ACT Party leader. As we look back on the best interviews this week, it is the best of the country. Brought to you every Saturday morning by Rabobank, the world's leading food and agribusiness bank. Up next, Jane Smith, North Otago farmer, award-winning environmentalist who's a little concerned about being cancelled because of her free speech. Before the end of the hour, we head to Australia to catch up with Justin Sherrard from Rabobank and look at the opportunities the global pandemic presents for New Zealand sheep and beef farmers plus a really, really amazing interview. Tony Laker travel agent with cancer, an incredible man facing great adversity who reckons has struck the jackpot here on The Best of the Country brought to you by Rabobank. The Best of the Country with Rabobank Choose the bank with 120 years global agribusiness experience Grow with Rabobank her name is Jane Smith. She's a North Otago farmer, former winner of the Balance Farm Environment Awards. And Jane, you're worried about me taking a backhander from Jacinda. That I hope this is a facetious comment. Well, I'm not sure it is, Jamie. Good afternoon. I mean, I'm really concerned that I'm going to be irrelevant to your show now if I have to come on and be PC because I'd rather be out crutching lambs or something, Jamie, or at the dentist even. What did Churchill say? People want to be free to say what they like, but if anyone else says anything to the contrary, that's an outrage. And again, it seems to be that tribal activists or the co-leader of the Green Party can state their opinion 
and that's called free speech. But if I state mine, it could be seen as hatred and intolerance, Jamie. And it just, you know, it just got to completely out of control. Yeah, and come on, you, your snide little suggestion, Jane, was that I might take a slice of Jacinda's $55 million media pie. You realise as a pale, stale, middle-aged male, I was never going to fit the criteria anyhow. Oh, exactly, Jamie, and I guess the term irrelevant might be might be um, yeah, incredibly apt. And so I actually thought I'd be proactive last night, and I wrote a list of the top ten people that I do intend on continuing to offend for the next twelve months until I do uh, have to do otherwise. So I might forward this to my lawyer actually, and um, and get ready for that. So crazy left wing liberals, tribal road blocking activists, well funded Greenpeace spokespeople, rabid feminists or feminazis, I like to call them whiskey fueled aged career politicians who have put the socialist government in power in the first place. Okay, well, why don't we narrow that field down a wee bit, shall we, Jane? <laughs> um, carry on, <laughs> if I may. Biodiversity destroying carbon forestry investors. Um, any politician in charge of building a slide for 500k. I'm or, with you there. I'm with you on that one. Or $800 million bridge. Um, Extinction Re- Rebellion members while they're lying on the railway. That's particularly at vegans and those stroke for climate millennials that were only there to eat their free KFC afterwards and left all the rubbish lying around. Um, so, you know, again, Jamie, it's a, 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 akin to the gun buyback debacle. It really is, you know, the push for legislation conveniently stems from, you know, some of the tragedies that we've been through in the last few years, but it's actually socialist policies thinly disguised as being... Um, I guess, uh, actively wanting to, to be kind. And it's interesting, Jamie, I was thinking last night, similar silencing happened um, with sanitising of personal views back in 1934 when it became illegal to criticise a government in a certain European country. Um, and they glorified their leader and they took over the media and they also spread negative images. Oh, yeah, but Jane, you're drawing a long bow comparing oh, Jacinda to Hitler. I didn't, I, your words, not mine, Jamie. Well, you um, threw you know, the idea out there. There were certain sectors of society that were really um, polarised and, and I guess put to shame. And I think actually the uh, GDP, those that are running the GDP and our, underpinning the economy and running our communities, like our rural businesses and farmers at the moment, are particularly those that are being ostracised. So all of that is playing into this whole, um, uh, I guess, lack of free speech debacle, and it really is um, killing the lifeblood of democracy and, and society, Jamie. Do you know who you forgot on your list? The mongrel mob. Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've had them on my list uh, for a long time, Jamie, and, you know, it's good to think that we've worked our butts off over the last six days um, sharing and getting things sorted on the farm so we can pay some sort of tax at some stage so um, the government can give it to those gangs, Jamie. And it is, again, a concern that certain politicians like... Um, your mate James Shaw can show us true colours when backed into a corner and throw out racist comments on um, the bunch of Pākehā farmers that, that he said were against regulation, and that's, that's completely wrong on both counts. Um, yet we, we can be vilified for something as a, as that's seen as a um, you know, biggest or, or racist or catalyst response to something, Jamie. Hey, can I just finish on another favourite politician of mine? Not uh, David Parker, Minister for the Environment. I saw him uh, on television over the weekend when those not very pleasant footage came out around the winter grazing. There's no defending the indefensible in some cases, but this is just fanning the flames. This is vindication uh, for Mr Parker. And I guess, Jamie, that's another thing that we are seeing coming through, and it's inexcusable, really, is that personal agendas that um, certain politicians have been able to uh, throw into the ring and really push whilst they're in power. 
and again, it's inexcusable. And uh, and as you said, it was very weighted towards finding something that that appeared to be not looking great, and that's unacceptable when you see all of the great things and all of the proactive management, um, even in wet winters that all farmers are trying to yeah, do. Yeah, okay. Just a final word from you, because you know a lot about Southland. You married a Southlander. You were a rep for a fertiliser company down in Southland for a few years. How, how do we get around this winter grazing impasse? Well, I think, Jamie, just continue on the, on the pathway. It's an intergenerational change. Um, the catchment groups are the best model going forward. There's nothing new in that. Farmers have been um, well-versed in catchment groups and, and coming up with individual solutions for um, the collective good, and that's exactly what we're doing. It's, it's something that doesn't necessarily change overnight. It's something that is actually worked with um, with the community to, to, to find, uh, define values um, for the community and for um, each individual farmer. So, you know, again, that collective picture has to come from the grassroots up, the groundswell up, um, not from the top down. And so that's where the government have completely read that wrong. And unfortunately, the environment are going to, is going to pay the price for that, Jamie, because it's just it needs to come from the people, not from the politicians. Jane Smith, thank you very much for some of your time today on The Country. Enjoy the rest of your day farming in North Otago. Thanks, Jamie. I'll keep the GDP running. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with a huge network of progressive farming clients. Rabobank. Haven't chatted to our next guest on the country for what we reckon is about two to three years. His name is Justin Sherard. He's a global strategist for animal protein for Rabobank. He's based in the Netherlands, but he's picked this like a dirty nose. He's gone back to Australia. He's gone from MIQ into a lockdown. Your timings hasn't been that great, Justin. Jamie, look, let's just say it's good to be talking to you again. No one's more disappointed than me to be doing it from lockdown in Sydney. I I had other plans while I was here, but that's what this disease is serving up to all of us, isn't it? A a fair dose of uncertainty and uh, and unpredictability and rarely what any of us want. How's life going in the Netherlands? Because they've taken a different attitude, obviously, to New Zealand and Australia. We've tried for close to elimination. They're just living with it. It's management, it's vaccines, roll out the vaccines and get on with life and protect those most at risk. That's right, Jamie. You sum it up quite nicely, but in fact, as with a lot of these things, the devil's in the detail. The Dutch were a little bit slow to get going with the vaccine rollout program, but they've accelerated enormously in in recent months. And what that really means now is it's not just getting on with it. I mean, people really do feel a bit of a release now from this kind of... Fear's not quite the right word, but, you know, we we feel less uncertain now in the Netherlands than than we had in recent months. And, And you see that in the way that people want to get out. You see that in the way that they want to spend money um, importantly for, for our industry in food service. And we see that it's already starting to have some inflationary impacts as well, which are in generally a welcome if you say that's going to push up prices of red meat. But if you say that's also going to push up the price of the cost of labour, then for some in processing and production, that's, that's not such good news. But in general, there's really this feeling of a bit more optimism with a risk of the the Delta variant and all that sort of stuff never very far away. So there's been a bit of a local spike in the Netherlands around that. But generally, optimism, pushing up prices and um, lots of people getting out and wanting to do a lot of the stuff that they haven't been able to do for so long. So if I'm a sheep and or beef farmer in Australia or, or New Zealand, should I be optimistic about my future? Well, in terms of 
export opportunities both to the European continent and also to North America, then, Jamie, I think you should. In both of those economies at the moment, we're seeing quite strong demand through food service channels for red meat. Um, that's for beef as well as for lamb or sheep meat in general. And I think we're seeing some upward movement on prices as well. So I think there's good news there with very few conditions attached to it. Um, the only thing that we're looking at is, is this kind of feeling of optimism? Is it, is it just a, a short-lived sort of thing? And are we actually going to be going to see um, some sort of quieter period as we get into the fourth quarter of this calendar year, for example? Or, or will it kind of just roll on and are we actually seeing a, a sort of shift in the economic cycle here into a, expand, a strong expansionary phase? We're moderately positive that it's going to be an expansionary phase that we're moving into, so we could see an extended period of, of these good market conditions. But um, uh, there's still quite some uncertainty there in terms of what happens with these uh, Delta variant and other variants of the virus, etc. And um, if you do send things back into lockdown, then, then, of course, you need to recalibrate what's happening with the economic outlook. All right, we've talked about Europe. We've talked about North America. Let's talk about not the elephant in the room, but the biggest player in the room, effectively, for Australia and New Zealand, although you Aussies might have peeved them off a wee bit, China. You know, Jamie, it's been in a country which has been full of twists and turns for animal protein in general. It's been a remarkable first half of this year in China, in particular for what's happening with the, with the pea herd and what's happening with prices in the pork complex. I mean, we've seen prices for live pigs drop by about two-thirds since, um, let's say, end of February down to um, the end of June. Incredible drop in prices there. A bit more supply and not much demand. And, you know, well, oversupply situation, obviously, relative to where demand is. And there's a really interesting message in there, I think, for New Zealand's exporters about, you know, this question of, well, once you start getting more pork meat available in the market... Why aren't Chinese consumers, you know, jumping on it? They've been missing out for a couple of years now because of African swine fever. Why aren't they jumping back at it? Why are they staying with beef and pork? Well, I guess that is the $64,000 question. What will happen in China? Jamie Mackay there with Justin Sherrard, who is from Rabobank, usually Netherlands-based, now Australian-based at the moment, the global strategist for animal protein. It is the best of the country brought to you by Rabobank. Rowena Duncan standing in for Jamie Mackay. Up next, uh, yesterday... There was an amazing event right throughout New Zealand, 57 centres, thousands and thousands of trucks, of tractors, of utes, of dogs, of farmers, of those just protesting the amount of legislation hitting New Zealanders at the moment. We caught up with Derek Daniel in the lead-in to the event to find out what his thoughts were around it. He is up next before the end of the hour, Tony Laker, a travel agent with cancer who reckons he struck the jackpot. The best of the country with Rabobank. The bank with local agribanking experts passionate about the future of rural communities. Rabobank. Two sleeps to go and then the nation, or certainly the rural part of the nation, provincial New Zealand, will be revolting. Some people might say they're revolting all the time. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's the howl of a protest. And it's happening right around the country in a town or city near you at last count, 57 venues. One man who will be doing his bit for it in Masterton on Friday is Derek Daniel, well-known sheep and tennis player, breeder. Derek, how big, how big a deal is it going to be in Masterton? Oh, look, I think it's just ramping up all the time, Jamie, uh, because 
uh, this government, with all its rules and regulations, is, is not only um, got farmers' backs up, but all the people who own utes, uh, which in, means a lot of tradespeople, uh, truck drivers, uh, the horticultural people who can't get workers to, to pick and prune, and that includes grape growers producing wine, etc. So it's, it's covering a pretty wide spectrum now, and I think there's a, a lot of business people in New Zealand are starting to resent this, um, this grab for power, centralising everything and making government uh, the big wheel in this country. And that's, uh, I don't think that's what the New Zealand culture is all about. I agree with you, Derek. It's interesting. I'm hearing whispers that some of the councils, some of the local body councils are even supporting the protesters, which is, inter- which is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. I've just been talking to Wayne O'Donnell, who heads up the Greater Wellington Regional Council here in Master, and he said, uh, yeah, it's, it's so difficult trying to make uh, these all these um, things coming out of central government, trying to make them work. I said to Wayne, you appear to be paralysed. You, you're sort of reactive and negative. You used to be proactive and positive and used to protect uh, land from river floods and, and this kind of a thing. Now you're sort of afraid to do anything. I wonder whether, and they're calling it the ute tax, but I wonder whether this could ultimately end up being Jacinda's Helen Clark showerhead moment. You know, just the tipping point, the straw that broke the camel's back where people said, look, enough is enough. And it's all very well transitioning people into lower emission vehicles. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But there isn't an option for them at the moment. This is such a harebrained scheme. I totally agree. It's just like the, the bike bridge over Auckland Harbour when I see queues of cars lined up trying to trying to get into Auckland. Uh, we've got bicycle lanes around Marston. I never see any bicyclists on them. Uh, it's just uh, it's ideology over reality. Mind you, it'll be interesting to see what plays out in Auckland on Friday, and we'll have someone on the ground there covering that one. We've got you and Masters, and we'll have reporters right around the country on Friday. But we're hearing up to, or maybe more than, 500 uh, utes and tractors, a lot of horticulturalists heading into town. They've had a guts fall. They are sick of their crops rotting on the ground or on the trees. Yeah. Very cleverly, they're dropping food off at the city mission on the way in, and that is the way you get a buy-in from urban New Zealand and the businesses in those towns and cities. Sounds like a great plan. Look, it's across the board, Jamie. For instance, uh, do you know how much you pay to the ETS for each litre of fuel that you put in your vehicle? I've got no idea. It's 2.6 cents. Is that going to change behaviour? It's just a joke. The only thing that the ETS is doing is creating the incentive for, for pine tree planting across a lot of our good farmland. And, and you've got rich foreigners doing this, and they're going to be on social welfare from our taxpayers. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Well, I know that you're a very clever and erudite sort of man. You've been playing around with some banners that you might take to Masters, and one of them is social welfare for foreigners, just plant trees. Have you stolen this from Winston Churchill? Socialism is a great idea until you run out of other people's money? No. (laughs) That was Maggie Thatcher, (laughs) but it's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is a power grab. Take five days more um, uh, sick pay. Have another day's holiday, but we're supposed to be on a climate emergency. So this is a socialist idea. They're taking it from employers, like two two weeks holiday used to be the case when I started work. Now it's four weeks, 
And now we're just adding and adding and adding maternity leave, paternity leave, and it's all coming out of someone else's pockets, and it's all designed to make politicians look good. Yeah, not to mention the four-day working week. That doesn't happen on the farms of New Zealand or the small businesses of New Zealand. I like this one. Shit happens. Auckland, no fine. Dairy farmer, $60,000 fine. And we do have a double standard in this country when it comes to water quality. Exactly, exactly. And then symbolic gestures like banning oil and gas exploration. And and I just Googled, Jamie, we have 16 billion tonnes of coal reserves in this country. And here we are importing most of the coal we need to keep the lights on in Auckland coming into Huntley. <laughs> and the irony of that is we are importing coal, which we burn to create electricity to charge our electric vehicles. How brain dead is that? The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with 120 years global agribusiness experience. Grow with Rabobank. Let's head to Invercargill Southland where we find my old mate and our travel partner here on the country, Tony Laker from Laker House of Travel. And Tony, you and I joke about this, but when it comes to sad travel stories, yours is right up there, my friend. Yeah, hello, Jamie. And I suppose it is. Well, I don't think it is, but other people do. But, um, yeah, certainly it's something. Um, we've been knocked around tremendously from when, um, uh, you know, co- where we were sitting before COVID and uh, what happened when the borders closed, et cetera, and uh, where we are now. It's, uh, well, hang it's on, Tony. Hang on, Tony. Let, let's not sugarcoat this. You lost 95% of your business. And if that wasn't bad enough... You were diagnosed with liver cancer. I know that you used to do the rounds, and a lot of people around the country would have heard you at conferences. You're on the celebrity speaking roster. Now that you're a travel agent with cancer, you surely have hit the jackpot. Oh, you would laugh. I stopped doing it for a while while I was doing my treatment, Jamie, but um, I rang celebrity speakers the other day and said, look, put me back on, and I'll start doing it on a limited basis to get back to some sort of normality from that side of things again. And, uh, yeah, they gave me four bookings in a day, and the lady, I, I laughed, she, she's a good sort. She said, Tony, everybody wants to hear about people getting through adversity after COVID, etc." She said, you've hit the jackpot with being a travel agent in cancer. So I said, it's a bit dramatic. <laughs> I, could think of better way, I could think of better ways of getting a few... Um, um, speaking gigs, Jamie, to be fair, but yeah. Um, but that's where we're at. Yeah, no, honestly, we're uh, well, 16 months since the lockdown and, um, you know, we're still down to 95% of what we used to do, so turning over 5% of what we used to. So all these businesses that I see on the TV down 30, 40, 50, 60% and getting through it, yeah, we're 95 down for 16 months, but, you know, it, we'll, we get going again and um, things are starting to change a little bit. We're starting to do Australia and the Cook Islands and things, Jamie, and um, the new normal start uh, very shortly and away we'll go. Tony, let me put your business into perspective. Pre-COVID, a turnover of $28 million. You're the house of travel of the year. Uh, you and I go way back. We've done farming and footy tours and rugby World Cup tours for the past couple of decades. Those will come back. But what is the what is the new norm for travel? Will we ever get back to pre-COVID levels? I went to I organised a conference in Queenstown a couple of months ago, Jamie, and one of the speakers was Professor Michael Baker. I asked him a question time what he thought was going to happen and you know, Michael's pretty conservative sort of fella and sort of the I used to call him the year butt guy, but um I said, When do you think things will get back to normal? And he said, Well the new normal 
Uh, he said by April 2022, uh, New Zealanders will be travelling in the new norm and uh, going to all the places they used to go to. So, um, you know, yeah, my thoughts on the matter, if you, want, if you want my opinion on the whole matter, Jamie, it's all about the vaccination. Once people have had their double jab, um, that's really important. I think people will need to be double jabbed to go to these uh, uh, countries further afield than Australia. Uh, I think by the end of this year, that will be done. I think the government will have opened up some new, what they call green countries by then, for instance, Singapore and maybe the USA and places like that. And, and we'll just have to do, get into that new normality, which I think will be a, a, a COVID test before you depart, Jamie, which will just be a saliva test or something very quick at the airport, and then one on the way home as well before you arrive back into New Zealand. So, you know, that is the new norm. I did my OE, Jamie, 38 years ago or whatever it was, and I had to have a little um, certificate that I carried around with me at all times that said that I uh, had my smallpox and, and other um, vaccinations. So we're really only going back to what... Uh, Back to the future, I guess, mate. It's just going to be all electronic now, and there's another couple of bits and pieces. But um, I, I think by early 2022, uh, we'll be we'll be travelling again to um, most, if not uh, certain countries in Europe, uh, the UK, the States, um, and other places as well. So that's the new norm. And there was a new norm after September 11, and there's a new norm after foot and mouth, and I've been through all those. Uh, last 30 years, mate, and um, this will just be another one. So that's my opinion on the matter for, for what it's worth. Let's just finish on what you guys have got coming up at Laker House of Travel. Uh, we were going to go to the Melbourne Cup. We've postponed that to 2022. Likewise, my old rugby mate, rugby commentator extraordinaire, Paul Allison's taking an Australian outback tour in 2022. So that's a couple of things you've got going. And you've got Frank Bunce, that legend, taking your Rugby World Cup tour to France in 2023. And everyone will be ready to go by then. Sure will, mate, and that's going to be a sightseeing and farming tour. And, of course, you, all these tours that you just said mentioned then are tax-deductible. If you're on the farm, or partly tax-deductible, so they make them good value. So if anybody's interested in going to the, the Melbourne Cup farming tour next year with you and Penny, uh, or the Outback Queensland one, which is on the 13th of July next year, mate, which is an absolute cracker. It sold out last time we did this one. Um, or the Rugby World Cup, yeah, just, uh, I guess, the easiest way is to just drop you a line and you'll pass it on to me, Jamie. We'll just give us a call at House Travel Acres in Bacargill, and uh, we'll get you registered and get the information out as soon as we've finished it. So that's where we're at for the farming tours next. Looking forward, looking forward to 2022, Jamie. I'll be around for a long time. I told the medical experts yesterday that um, somebody's got to be the first to beat what I've got, so uh, get ready for my picture on the wall because I'm it. So there you go, Tony Laker, the travel agent with cancer and an attitude to die for. No bad pun intended. The man is brilliant. If you want to go on one of those tours with me to the Melbourne Cup next year, with Paul Allison to the Australian Outback or with Frank Bunce to the Rugby World Cup in 2023, get your name in, drop me an email, jamie at thecountry.co.nz. Tony Laker, my friend, you stay well. Thank you, Jamie. Lovely talking to you again, mate. The best of the country with Rabobank. Choose the bank with a huge network of progressive farming clients. Rabobank. Good morning, New Zealand. Rowena Duncan standing in for Jamie Mackay, wrapping the best of the country. It's brought to you every Saturday morning by Rabobank, the world's leading food and agribusiness bank, and the bank that supports surfing for farmers, a wonderful mental health initiative that has helped nearly 3,000 farmers right throughout New Zealand since its inception and will help thousands more. Speaking of thousands, thousands turning out for the howl of a protest right around the country yesterday afternoon. Fantastic to see New Zealand standing in solidarity against these regulations that they have deemed 
just unworkable, coming too fast too soon and not as well thought out. Hopefully the government will stand up and take notice. This has been quite a peaceful protest. Right, this is me done and dusted. Off to Wellington now for the first Farah Palmer Cup game of the season. If you are heading around the country, take care. Uh, I'm not looking forward to our flight. It's supposed to be extremely windy, but do take care. Jamie and I will be back with the country from midday on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Your home for live sport. Oh, and eventually it goes in. The best from the land. G'day New Zealand, I'm Jamie Mackay. And the greatest hits. Gold AM. Streaming on iHeartRadio. Just search Gold AM. Your home for live sport. Five in a row. The best from the land. G'day New Zealand, I'm Jamie Mackay. And the greatest hits. Gold AM. Streaming on iHeartRadio. Just search Gold AM. Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Get your car bright, shiny, and clean at Tommy's Express Car Wash in Snellville. Stop by today to Tommy's Express Car Wash on the northeast corner of Oak Road and Scenic Highway North. Pull on up, roll on through on the Tommy Transporter Belt, and get a complete car wash in about three minutes for as low as seven bucks. Free vacuums and floor mat cleaners included, too. Join the Tommy Club and get unlimited car washes for an entire month, starting below $20. Tommy's Express Car Wash, open daily 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. to fit your busy schedule. Bring your car SUV, and even your larger size pickups. Tommy's Express has you covered on the northeast corner of Oak Road and Scenic Highway North. Look for the free Tommy's Express app on your phone. Learn more anytime at Tommy's-Express.com. That's T-O-M-M-Y-S-Express.com. Or just stop by today, save time and money, and keep your car bright, shiny, and clean at Tommy's Express Car Wash on the northeast corner of Oak Road and Scenic Highway North in Snellville. Did you know if you pay your nanny or sitter more than $2,300 a year or $100 a week, you owe taxes? When Care.com HomePay does your nanny taxes and payroll, we make sure to find all the tax benefits you qualify for, up to $8,000 a year. From tax filing to payroll, Care.com HomePay has it all covered. When you sign up for Care.com HomePay, we handle your nanny payroll, W-2s, everything you need. Try our service for free for the first month. Go to HomePay.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto channel. I hope you're doing well. Guys, I've got some very bullish news to share with you all. We have the second largest bank in the United States, Bank of America, capitulating. They're going to be offering Bitcoin futures trading. This is huge, huge news. I'm going to give you the details on what's happening. In addition, we have another bank in Germany that is offering their clients who have savings accounts with them the ability to uh, dabble in cryptocurrencies. So we're seeing banks and stock exchanges and institutions around the globe jumping in into crypto. We also have a crypto miner, a Bitcoin miner that is shipping 1 million mining units over to Canada from China. 1 million. So we're going to go through that. The migration of the mining and decentralization of the mining is happening, which is bullish for the, uh, the future of this market. And Peter Thiel, uh, who's involved with a crypto exchange, is about to get a huge investment. We're going to talk about this. And we know Peter Thiel, going back to PayPal and Facebook, the guy's a heavy hitter, a big mover. And it, you got to watch what he's doing, right? Watch, watch the moves he's making. 
Square is looking to go more into crypto. Uh, Jack Dorsey, they're looking to expand to DeFi. And Binance continues to face regulatory headwinds. More countries coming out and trying to push back on them. So uh, they also have to pause their uh, tokenized stocks trading. So we're going to go through all of that. Before we do, please go ahead and hit the thumbs up button. Leave a comment below and hit the subscribe button. If you're new here, it helps support the channel and it doesn't cost you anything. Guys, this content is brought to you by OKCoin Crypto Exchange, which has low fees. Why pay high fees? Buy, sell, trade your favorite crypto. Link in the description and you don't have to pay high fees. Also, don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. I'll be sending out a new newsletter tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. Sign up. It's free. No spam. All crypto insights and knowledge. So here's the big news. Bank of America approves Bitcoin futures trading for some clients, according to sources. Clients are in the process of being set up with some already live, according to one of two sources. Um, now, Bank of America is the second largest bank in the United States, right behind JP Morgan. Um, and here the article says, like most institutions, the bank has been conservative in its approach to the crypto sector. But due to the large amount of margin required to trade the futures, it is now allowing some clients to access the crypto market, once one of the sources said. Some clients are setting up to trade Bitcoin futures, which are cash settled, and one or two may have already gone live, the other source said. A number of investment banks are reportedly allowing clients to invest in crypto products. In March, Goldman Sachs confirmed plans to relaunch its crypto trading desk after a three-year hiatus. And in May, the investment banks started buying and selling Bitcoin futures in block trades through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, CME Group. Uh, using Cumberland DRW as its trading partner. So game theory playing out here. You have JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs jumping in. Bank of America is not going to sit by idly unless they want to become like the blockbusters of the world. They need to adapt and innovate with this new emerging asset class. And just recently, we saw Bank of America, uh, there was an announcement that they launched a crypto research team. So they're going all in. And I've been saying for years, keep an eye on them. They've been filing for crypto patents over the years. They've won some of the, the patents. Um, and they've, I think, been moving in silence a bit, right? They've been hiding in the shadows behind JP Morgan, uh, behind Jamie Dimon, who's out there, you know, bashing Bitcoin. But they've been doing a lot of uh, uh, building, I believe. And I think we're going to continue to see significant positive news around their adoption of crypto. Now, they are also partnered with Ripple, and I think um, they are certainly a candidate to be using, um, you know, Ripple's uh, 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 cryptocurrency, which is uh, XRP. And but of course, not yet because of this lawsuit. I think once the lawsuit settled, we're going to start seeing these big banks use uh, Ripple, um, Ripple's uh, RippleNet with, with XRP, of course. So uh, Bank of America is going to use CME futures, according to one of the sources. And uh, big news, my friends. I think you are seeing right here just the capitulation after capitulation of these major banks, some who were anti-crypto. And once again, they, they, back in 2018, they tried to stop people from buying crypto. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And this is why you have to have patience and have a macro level long-term view of the market, my friends. Now, check this out. Germany's third largest bank uh, now offers savings plans for Bitcoin and other crypto. 
And if we go to their website, the bank is called Comdirect. I personally haven't heard of them. Some of you, maybe who are in Germany watching this video, you probably have. And if you scroll down on this page, guys, check this out. Would you like something new? Trend products such as crypto certificates for your saving plans. Now, keep in mind, this is Google translated. This, this is in German, right? So it, it, English may not be 100% accurate here, but I think, look, look at this. They have the uh, shares of Bitcoin ETP, which is also an ETF or known as an ETF. They have Ethereum ETP, a Ripple XRP ETP, Bitwise is a index fund and, and all kinds of stuff, Polkadot, Stellar, Cardano. Isn't that amazing on a bank website? See where we're going, guys. Look at where we came from. These people hating on crypto, trying to stop you from investing it in it. Now it's a complete 180. Now they're offering it to you. And um, as some of you know, I, I've, I've done the little analogy or scenario of, Uh, what's going to be coming of like your local bank rep calling you up, Mr. Jones, um, you know, we have this new exciting investment opportunity in cryptocurrencies where you can expect X amount of return. And would you like me to uh, put together a plan for you and, and to diversify into crypto? And, and we can, guess what? We can also custody your crypto for you. That's what's coming. White glove service, uh, full data analytics, tracking, Uh, guys, it's, it's just amazing to watch this unfold. And, you know, it's, it's the juxtaposition of what it was in 2016, 2017 versus now it's amazing. And I'm so glad I didn't get frustrated and impatient and I'm still here and I accumulated and I know higher prices are going to come. Look, I'm already up. My portfolio is already up. Bitcoin at 30,000. I'm already up. Now I'm looking for 100,000 to make more ret higher returns um, and for my other cryptos as well. And I think people are entering now may think, oh no, I missed the boat. Not entirely. I think if, you, know, you don't want to buy the top of the market. Um, that's for sure. Like, I don't think you want to buy Bitcoin and necessarily at 65,000, but now in this accumulation phase, I, I, I think now would be a good buy, but not financial investment advice. Do your own research understand the risks, understand the volatility. And uh, I think dollar cost averaging is the best way to, to uh, enter into the market. Now, uh, check this out, BlackRock, not to be confused with BlackRock, the investment firm, but BlackRock Petroleum Company announces Bitcoin mining agreement. Guys, you know, I, I know I say this over and over, it doesn't matter what you feel about Bitcoin or what your opinion is. What matters is what is actually happening. Where's the money going? Who's investing? What is the government allowing? And governments are in, in North America, Canada and US are allowing Bitcoin mining and the boom of this industry. And I said it before, they, I think, need Bitcoin in the crypto market to do well because the plan is to introduce you to a central bank digital currency to use that. And Uh, they're allowing this industry to grow. They're not stopping it. And we see millions of dollars being invested. We see miners are moving from China to North America. So BlackRock Petroleum announces Bitcoin mining agreement to operate up to 1 million bit miners to be deployed across three natural gas energy producing sites in Alberta, Canada. And it says here... Um, Yeah, they're going to host and operate up to 1 million bit miners to be relocated from locations in China and exported to Canada. See what is happening here, my friends. This is from a press release. 
I didn't dream this up. It's not, you know, wishful thinking or confirmation bias. It is what is happening, regardless of if you hate, love, whatever you care, you don't believe in Bitcoin. Look at what is being built here, what is being set up. And uh, I don't think folks realize, realize how bullish this is because it's all going to help lead to an approval of a Bitcoin ETF in the United States. Custody has improved because you have banks involved now. Price aggregation has improved where you have the indexes from like NASDAQ and the S&P Dow Jones, right? We talked about it this week. By the way, I'm going to be interviewing soon Luca, the company that's working with the S&P Dow Jones to prov help provide the, the, the price data. These are companies that were existed before crypto, like the S&P Dow Jones, uh, NASDAQ, and so forth. And now they're building price indexes for crypto. So you have the proper price aggregation and indexes custody, and then the the FUD or, or the concerns of, hey, 50, over 50% 50 of the hash rate is controlled by uh, Chinese mining uh, miners, you know, the, the, the mining pool there, that is being solved right now, right before our eyes. These people are moving to other places, decentralizing the mining. Man, I hope some of you get it. And this is why Bitcoin is my number two. I'm here to make money. I'm not here for tribalism. XRP is my number one. Bitcoin, my number two. Ethereum, my number three. I'm here to make money. If you're here for uh, some sort of, I don't know, tribalism and maximalism, that's, that's a waste of time. In my opinion, I'm here to make money. Now, check this out. SoftBank to invest $75 million in Peter Thiel-backed crypto exchange, Bullish. <laughs> That's a great name for a crypto exchange. <laughs> the Block.1 subsidiary is set to go public via SPAC merger this year. We're seeing so many company, uh, crypto companies going public. It's, it's pretty amazing. So SB North Star, an investment arm of Tokyo-based SoftBank, has agreed to invest $75 million in Block.1's new subsidiary crypto exchange, Bullish. According to a filing with the US uh, SEC, SoftBank will purchase 7.5 million shares for $10 at $10 each, excuse me, at the time of Bullish's upcoming special purpose acquisition SPAC deal. Bullish has been valued at $9 billion. Bullish, which is uh, backed by billionaire investor Peter Thiel and crypto investment firms like Galaxy Digital, Mike Novogratz, of course, is on track to go public at the end of 2021 via SPAC merger with Thomas Farley's Far Peak Acquisition Corp. Farley, a former president of the New York Stock Exchange, will become Bullish's CEO. Blocked at one CEO, Brendan Bloomer, will serve as chairman. Wow, guys. Wow. Um, amazing what is happening. You have the elites of the elite. I mean, Peter Thiel, billionaire guy, invest, was the first investor in, in uh, Facebook. Obviously, made billions off of PayPal, right? He was, he was uh, at PayPal. And uh, he's invested in layer one, which is mining Bitcoin in Texas and many other crypto companies. He's bullish on Bitcoin. We've seen him talk about it. And you're seeing people from the traditional financial world, you know, the New York Stock Exchange and so forth coming into crypto. And they're setting up some of the largest and biggest uh, exchanges in crypto companies. What other facts and, and proof do you need as to what is coming? Wait till the mass marketing starts. Um, there was a video I talked about yesterday where Spike Lee did a commercial about Bitcoin. 
Um, it, it's, it's, and you see Tom Brady getting deals with FTS, FTX exchange, major, major things are coming guys, mass marketing. It's going to be huge and prices will follow. Now, Jack Dorsey, Bitcoin bull, uh, square is his company. They're doing some great things with crypto. Well, they're looking to go into DeFi using Bitcoin. So square is creating a new business dedicated to decentralized finance or DeFi applications for Bitcoin. Um, and you know, Jack is going to do what he says, right? He's, 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 he's a guy like that. He gets things done and he's bullish on crypto. Um, he's a bit of a Bitcoin maximalist, I think in certain ways, you know, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not a maximalist for anything. If I'm a maximalist, it's for making money. <laughs> That's what I want. Like many of you, I'm looking to make a return and use that money, uh, to, to give myself financial freedom. I don't care about any crypto religion or maximalism. So, uh, finally guys, Hong Kong, Lithuania issued Binance warnings. Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission said no entity in the Binance group is registered to conduct any regulated activity. Um, you may see my video on Twitter when I talked about this. This is the cleanup of the crypto Wild West because the big players are here, right? The institutions, the stock exchanges, the banks, the politicians, the governments, they're not going to allow with a Wild Wild West anymore. It's kind of sad in a way, but... That is, if we want to see high prices and mass adoption, this is the path we're going to have to go. And Binance is going to have to get in line and get their licenses, get regulated. Now, if they don't do that, <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Binance, because they will shut it down. Believe me, they will shut it down. We saw what they did to, um, I think it was BitMEX, if I'm not, Arthur Hayes and so forth. They're not playing around anymore. The governments are here. And uh, I, I, you know, I think CZ will will work things out. Uh, they may have to pay fines, and I think they'll they'll get their licenses. But uh, they have to halt their their tokenized stock trading. Um, they can't offer that anymore. And we and just, I mean, I think it was yesterday's video. I talked about it. Uh, Italy is also saying the same thing. Like they're not authorized to 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 uh, operate here, and they're warning people not to use the exchange. So. If I was you, uh, you know, if you have uh, crypto on Binance.com, I would look at getting it into a hardware wallet. Um, and once again, I don't want it to sound like I'm being negative against Binance. I'm just, look, this is the facts of what's happening. I like CZ. I've interviewed the guy two times. He's a great guy. Um, and, you know, it sucks. And I've used Binance.com. And, uh, but look, they, unless they get in line and they make sure they follow the rules, there's a risk here. So I'm just letting you guys know, look at, look at this thing holistically, right? Protect your funds, move it off and maybe put it on a more safer, I shouldn't say safer, a more, uh, an exchange that's not under scrutin, scrutiny right now. So uh, put it on a hardware wallet is the safest way. So just be careful guys with Binance.com right now until this is resolved. So just heads up. So guys, what do you think about this Bank of America news? Very bullish in my opinion. And I hope this is sinking sinking in. It's resonating as to what is happening here. There's a lot of people not paying attention to this. There's a lot of people who still don't get it. But if you're here, you're still early in the adoption curve because the, it hasn't hit full mainstream mass adoption yet. And these banks, these stock exchanges are all setting up shop, putting their stake in the ground. And uh, we're going to see... A greater bull runs coming higher prices. So just be ready, have a plan, know what you're doing. 
And I would love to hear what you guys think. Leave your thoughts and comments below. Hit the thumbs up button. Share this video. Uh, tell your friends and family about this channel. You know how we do it here. We're fact-based. We look at the market holistically and uh, no super hype and ridiculous price predictions and all that. But actually, let's look at the market from all angles. Who's building? Who's investing? What's happening? Technical analysis, market cycles, trends, and so forth. Thank you guys for watching, and I'll talk to you all later. Hey there, it's Kristen Gates with Trey Sauls of Sauls Law Group. I think when a couple splits, even if it's amicable, there are still so many hidden issues, things you probably never even thought about, right, Trey? Exactly. Such as who's getting child support? Is there going to be a need for alimony? Where is the dog staying? Are you selling the house or are you getting bought out by the other spouse? Who's getting the debt? And the most important thing is child custody. Who's getting custody and when will you see your kids? I've been through a divorce, and Trey, I wish I would have had an attorney that would have just walked me through it one step at a time. Just let me know that everything was going to be okay. Right off the bat, you're going to be okay, and you will still be with your children. We realize you're a human, and we will support you and counsel you through this process. You will not be treated like a transaction, and we can help you through the most difficult time in your life. We will see you through this. Let Saul's Law Group give you the help you deserve. Go to saulslawgroup.com today and schedule a free consultation. That's saulslawgroup.com. You don't own me. No one can tell you how to travel as you are. Orbitz wants to help you discover where you want to go, who you want to go with, and what you want to do when you get there. Visit orbitz.com slash pride to book your next trip. Orbitz. Travel as you are. So just let me be myself to say and do whatever I Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Hey there, it's Kristen Gates with Trey Sauls of Sauls Law Group. I think when a couple splits, even if it's amicable, there are still so many hidden issues, things you probably never even thought about, right, Trey? Exactly. Such as who's getting child support? Is there going to be a need for alimony? Where is the dog staying? Are you selling the house or are you getting bought out by the other spouse? Who's getting the debt? And the most important thing is child custody. Who's getting custody and when will you see your kids? I've been through a divorce, and Trey, I wish I would have had an attorney that would have just walked me through it one step at a time. Just let me know that everything was going to be okay. Right off the bat, you're going to be okay, and you will still be with your children. We realize you're a human, and we will support you and counsel you through this process. You will not be treated like a transaction, and we can help you through the most difficult time in your life. We will see you through this. Let Saul's Law Group give you the help you deserve. Go to saulslawgroup.com today and schedule a free consultation. That's saulslawgroup.com. Hello and welcome. In this podcast, rats like to eat a lot of things, and that includes Teslas. Southwest transparency may not be so transparent. And finally, the mystery of the Subway Ice Coffee. I'm Rod Morrison. I'm Nancy Shack. And we all are accidental passengers.
I just got finished charging my car, had the AC blasting, music blaring, when BAM! The whole car lurched forward, and then I got the alerts on my dashboard saying pull over safely because the car has no power. We saw that we were leaving money on the table, and so we needed to uh, kind of professionalize and change our corporate sales focus so that we could uh, kind of meet the customer where they were. the most valuable car companies in the United States is Tesla. I'm Nancy Shack. At one point in the past year, Tesla stock became more valuable than the two largest American automakers put together, General Motors and Ford. They manufacture a state-of-the-art electric vehicle designed with the environment in mind. That eye for sustainability and bio-friendly materials may have come back to bite Tesla in the you-know-where. Car repairs and a surprising culprit, rodents eating away at your vehicle, costing hundreds of dollars in damages. Furry friends could be looking to make your car a home or even worse, a meal. It was in for repairs after rodents caused significant damage to the wirings. It might be time to check under your hood. Yes, mice, rats and other rodents are chowing down on Teslas. One driver in Manhattan who commutes every day in her Tesla to New Jersey took her car into the dealership after her air conditioning stopped working. When the mechanic opened the glove compartment, a rat fell out. It had apparently gobbled through several internal wires that were insulated with soy rather than oil, which mechanics say make them a lot more appealing to rodents. Yeah, rodents can do some gnarly damage to uh, cables. I've seen them chew through harnesses. Um, they wreak havoc on wiring harnesses. They make nests in them. Insulation of the harnesses are made out of um, vegetable oil. They, they like to make the wires recyclable, so they're made mm-hmm. out of vegetable oil. You wouldn't think anything of it, but to a rodent, that's heaven. And it's not just the air conditioner at stake. Some Tesla owners have had their brake cables chewed by rodents to the point where the car became unusable. The mechanic had noticed some definite um, mouse damage, that there were some wires chewed. Looks like a rat or a mouse or something lived in there. Another Tesla owner complained on Reddit that his brand new Model 3 was undrivable just two weeks after it was delivered due to rat damage. And then this is what happened to one Texas driver. I just got finished charging my car, had the AC blasting, music blaring, when BAM! The whole car lurched forward, and then I got the alerts on my dashboard saying pull over safely because the car has no power. Well, I pulled over at the side of the highway and I got the message that the vehicle systems were shutting down and the car needs service. The car wasn't parked and I couldn't shift to drive at all, so I sat there, played some ice cube, until police officers showed up. Yikes. And given the fact that the average cost of a Tesla is $50,000, You would think this kind of damage would be covered, wouldn't you? Well, guess what? It's not. In a statement from a Tesla service advisor, the company says most auto manufacturers use the soybean versus oil in their wire insulation for newer vehicles because it's less expensive and better for the environment. The use of this material would not be considered a defect in design or use. Considering there are too many factors outside of Tesla's control, we cannot cover this under a warranty or repair. It is true that automakers have been getting slammed for years with complaints about their allegedly rat-friendly soy-based wiring. And Tesla, so far, is the only one to have escaped legal action tied to its use of soy materials. But that could change as complaints about rats and Teslas appear to rise along with the popularity of the brand.
now valued at $632 billion. One UK-based inventor who came up with a product designed to keep rats out of vehicles says his company has seen a lot of interest from Tesla drivers. About 150 of them with rodent issues have contacted him over the past year. The number of rodent complaints to New York City's 311 hotline surged by over 80% this year as the economy reopens. One reason may be that rats were forced to change their habits during the pandemic when their normal sources of food dried up, including moving into emptied-out office buildings. That's according to pest experts, who are gearing up for a busy year in 2021. So you might consider holding off on your Tesla purchase or any other EV that uses soy-based wiring until the manufacturers can figure out how to rodent proof them. In the two of us need look no more. We both found what we were looking for. With the friend to call my own, I'll never be alone. And you, my friend, will see you got a friend in me. Transparency. The idea there are no hidden fees or taxes. If Southwest Airlines is going to charge you for overweight luggage, they will tell you. But what they won't do is share information with online travel services like Expedia, Travago, or Kayak. If you want to know the fare from New York to Los Angeles, you must go to southwest.com or call a customer service agent. The reasoning, according to the airline, is simple. First, the price they give you will be the lowest one. Honest. Secondly, going to the source strengthens that alleged family bond the airline has with you. That is all well and good if you are the personal traveler that is going to see a distant family member or going to get away from the close ones. But if you are a business traveler, they get flights that are not so transparent to the personal passengers. Andrew Watterson, Chief Commercial Officer for Southwest, tells us why. The uh, uh, corporate travel initiative we had was pre-pandemic. And so if you go back, you know, we're almost 50 years old. And, uh, we will be next month. We started life as a business airline. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on where one is in the country, uh, if you're f- to the West Coast, you view us as a business airline because uh, we have a lot of business routes out there. To, more towards the East, you'll view us more as a leisure airline. It's just a consequence of kind of where our growth path took us when and what airports we were able to get into. Um, and so as we uh, uh, grew up, we still maintained a decent amount of, uh, of business traffic. And so uh, as we saw what we had done with our direct distribution strategy over the years, we saw that we were leaving money on the table and so we needed to uh, kind of professionalize and change our corporate sales focus so that we could uh, kind of meet the customer where they were. And so we set up a, 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 an initiative which involved, you know, more headcount, uh, technology investments and, and new uh, procedures to be able to tap into the corporate market, especially for the largest corporations pre-pandemic. And uh, since it was, we saw an opportunity even post-pandemic. Uh, we continue that investment in the network. For years, the airline was treating business passengers like personal passengers. If the company allowed employees to book their own flights, they would go to the carrier's website and book tickets. At times, Southwest even had deals with companies for direct ticket information. So getting tickets were easier. 
But now emerging from a pandemic, Southwest is looking for new revenue. The business traveler. The airline now wants to do what is necessary to get a large slice of that business traveler pie. Like personal passengers, the business flyers have their own online travel agencies. Ones because Southwest wanted the personal touch were never a part of. But now the airline is changing its tune. Not for everybody, just corporate America. So they are joining those business travel sites to get that big slice of the flying crowd. Also, Southwest will be adding more flights and connecting destinations that have no Southwest flights between each other. For example, there may be a flight between New York and San Diego and one between New York and San Francisco, but nothing between San Diego and San Fran. So Southwest will make one. And one of the passengers that fly for pleasure? Hey, Southwest Airlines loves you. There are people who find their own path, chart their own course, who never stop moving forward and never, ever back down. Entrepreneurs and journeymen, mavericks and pioneers who believe the American dream doesn't just happen. It's something you have to work for. We're for those kinds of people because we're that kind of airline. We're never finished, never satisfied, and we never stop looking for a better way. It's what's made Southwest like nobody else. And it's how we've grown into America's largest domestic airline. We are Southwest. Welcome aboard. Although Bostonians drink a lot of iced coffee, they don't drink enough to be on the top of the list of cities who drink the most of the cold Java. New York City won that category. But what Boston area residents are known for in terms of iced coffee is that we drink it year-round. Ten below zero? Hey, give me a large iced coffee with extra, extra cream and extra, extra sugar. But what has fascinated some Bostonians who travel through Ashmont Station on the MBTA's red line and those on Boston Reddit is a single half cup of Dunkin' iced coffee that is perched on a divider between the outbound and inbound tracks. According to one witness, the cup has been there for several months. The two main questions that have come up in online conversations first, and this is the easiest of the two, how did it get there in the first place? The most plausible answer, and really nobody knows for sure except for the person who put it there, is that someone working on the tracks left it there. The second question is at the heart of the fascination with the coffee. Why is it still there? It is not a question of poor cleanup at the station. Bashmont is pretty neat and tidy. Subway trains cause a lot of wind, so why hasn't the train knocked it over? One person opined why a rat hasn't bumped into it, causing it to fall. There have been some philosophy discussions asking if the cup is half full or half empty. And another gave the ultimate question of why are we even bothering with this? I can answer that one. Takes our minds off for a brief moment of all the things we have to think about. 
and these days a lot of those things to think about aren't that good. Coffee is a good diversion. Deck the halls with bows of donuts. Real customers are telling you why their holidays run on Dunkin'. All I want for Christmas is a Dunkin' Peppermint Dunkachino. With the Dunkin' app, I can order and pay on my smartphone, so my coffee's waiting for me when I walk in. I love Dunkin', guys. <laughs> what are you talking about? Where else can I get breakfast and the perfect stocking stuffer? You want to talk real customers? Kid, that's me. I'm like the mayor of Dunkin'. This is the face of Dunkin' Donuts right there. Hey, you can't smoke I'm, in here, man. I'm not, Mark. I'm not smoking You're in smoking here. You're smoking in here. It's outside. Yeah, I come down to Dunkin' every day. Grab a Corolla, have an extra large, three parliaments, take a big dump. That's kind of the routine. I'll get my seat right over there. This douchebag will move when I'm ready. And with Duncan Rewards app, there's even more reason to celebrate the season. Yo, free coffee! I got the big one! I got a free coffee right there on the app. <laughs> you know, show and tell or something? Huh? With a little show and tell, Duncan Nuts! Show that, mama. Tis the season for holiday drinks. Like right, never mini- mind that. Hey, interview my buddy Dooley for the movie right here. Dooley, tell me your favorite donut is. No, I don't want to be in there. Come on, pal. It's a movie. Tell me what your favorite, how you like the uh, vanilla nut taps. What? The vanilla nut taps. Oh, <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> Cut your nails, for God's sake! Doing great, Donnie! Oh, yeah, go outside! Best part of my day is when I'm at Dunkin'. You think that's sad? Yes, very. Real customers know the holidays run on Dunkin'. Thanks for listening. You can check out our Accidental Passengers Facebook page. There you will get transit stories not covered on the podcast. And you can even leave a comment and tell us how we are doing or give us a story idea. We upload every Monday. I'm Rob Morrison. I'm Nancy Shack. And we all are Accidental Passengers. Visa, you could win a trip to a past Olympic and Paralympic Games host city when you use a Delta Community Credit Union Visa card. Now through August 15th, you'll be entered for a chance to win a trip to Los Angeles, Salt Lake City, Montreal, or even Sydney, Australia, when you use your Delta Community Visa debit or credit card for your everyday purchases. No purchase necessary to enter or win. To learn more and for full rules, visit deltacommunitycu.com slash visa adventure. Delta Community is federally insured by the NCUA. Visa, worldwide sponsor of the Olympic and Paralympic Games. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Welcome to Modern Money with Misty Lynch. So I met somebody the other day who works in a more male-dominated industry than I do. Uh, Her name's Greta Bayrami, and she is the owner of Golden Group Roofing. And I knew I had to have her on the show and talk to her about her experience in her industry and how she's made her way in her own way as a woman in the construction business. 
And it turns out there is so much more to her story and also an amazing project that we're going to be working on together uh, called Rootless to help entrepreneurs and people who may not have had the clearest path to success find a community and resources to help them build businesses that make them, their families, and their community stronger. I am so excited to introduce her to you, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode with Greta Bairami of Golden Group Roofing. Welcome to the Modern Money with Misty Lynch podcast, where each week you will hear unforgettable conversations with expert guests about success, money, business, and small steps you can take to elevate your life and wealth. Now here's your host, Misty Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast. I'm joined by Greta Bayrami. She's the CEO of Golden Group Roofing, and she is a she's from Worcester, Massachusetts, or grew up there. And um, I wanted to have her on the show to talk about a few things. But being in a male-dominated industry is something that we both understand pretty well. And when I heard about her and her success. Um, with her company in probably one of the most male-dominated industries I could think of in construction. I really wanted to to get to know her and learn a little bit more about her, especially for those of us who maybe are considering a career where we don't have a, a role model or a mentor who looks like us or sounds like us or had the same experience as us and to see how you can still succeed and move ahead in that path. So thank you so much, Greta, for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk with you today. So you're not you're not a Worcester native. You're actually you're actually from Albania, correct? Yes, I am part. I am the part of the Albanian Worcester community. So uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, Tirana, Albania, and I moved to Worcester, Massachusetts when I was ten years old. And so, what was what was that like when you when you came to America? I know that um, you you probably had seen, you've seen quite a bit in your early childhood to, you know, for your family to leave. What was that experience like for you to come to, to the United States? And yeah. how did some things in your childhood shape that path to entrepreneurship for you? Um, I mean, it was, it was growing up in another country. It puts a lot of things into perspective because in Albania, I always say that we are very intellectually rich theater, art, um, music, but very poor, you know, financially poor. Um, so we grew up in a community that we always had knowledge, but lacked financials, but we always made do with what we had and we did the most and we got creative and did crafts in our own, in our own ways. Um, and when you have that type of passion and drive as a young uh, child, and then you pair that up with America, which is the land of opportunity and dreams of, and where you can really make something out of nothing and where finances can really change depending on how hard, you know, you work. Um, this was, this was everything, you know, as an 11 year old, 10 year old coming in and then watching TV and seeing Beverly Hills, New York city, this was everything. This was the place of dreams. And it still is, you know, um, to any person around the world, it still very much is that land of opportunity. So I was very excited. And I recall even coming my first days in the United States, I was just happy to be here and happy to be in a country where I knew I could make something of myself. That's so I, I love that. I think it is it is good to see you know, opportunity. And I think that it's been, you know, the, the past, the past year and a half, the past, you know, a while in America, it's been, um, you know, a bit of a challenging space as far as business and industry. 
So when you, when you, um, you know, when you were a young child in Worcester, I mean, you've been in the Worcester business journal, did you see this direct straight path to success going into construction or would, did you have some other dreams on no. when you were first <laughs> starting out? Yeah. Good question. I don't think uh, there's, if people are saying that they're probably lying. I think maybe, maybe 10% of the people might grow up wanting, you know, to be this and that. I think what I wanted to be when I was little definitely didn't come true, or maybe it's still coming true. I don't know. I wanted to be like a journalist when I was little. So a construction found me along the way because I'm a big advocate for using skill that potentially could either become passion or lead you to passion. And that was my story. I wasn't in, I wasn't in a, in a space where I could wait until passion hit me, right? I had to take the skill set I had and apply it. And I was actually a mother much younger than most of my friends. My, I welcomed my daughter um, just as I was heading into freshman year in college. And I still managed to go to school with a child. And, you know, and that had its own challenges. And when I was graduating, not many people were hiring. And especially not many people were hiring because it was post-recession. And, you know, I, I was graduating with international relations. So what happened is I saw an ad for a construction company who was stating that they were going to pay between 200 and $300 a day. And I said to myself, this sounds pretty good. This is something I can do. Um, I'm, it doesn't, I have skill set. I can, I can manage people. You know, that's what I'm going to school for to manage. So let me manage, let me manage some construction sites. Let me show up for this job interview. And I landed the job interview simply because I think I was different. I don't think the manager was expecting a girl to walk through the doors and um, want the job. That's yeah. So I think that that's something that it can hurt us and it can help us. I know there was a few times early in my career where I am, um, I, I graduated college before you in 2002, but it was also not a very strong job market. And I remember going on interviews from selling flooring and uh, all of these different things that I could do just because I just, I had to make money. I was like, I, you know, mm -hmm. thought all of these things. I went through college thinking I'd maybe go to law school. Maybe I would do, you know, just become a lawyer. And then that, that changed. And sometimes there's a lot of people too, who might be graduating this year where they feel like, you know, they just continue to go to school, but sometimes it's okay to just get a job yeah, <laughs> and to be okay with, you know, not just take in, especially now too, with the amount of student loan debt, when you're not really sure, or mm -hmm. you're looking to find that path. I do think that sometimes building those skills and getting some experience going for jobs that you're not like maybe a hundred percent sure are your dream mm -hmm. can be really helpful. I, um, I know that that, and that's something that I think is maybe not as glamorous <laughs> for some people, but I think it can be really um, helpful. And there's so many different skills that we learn in college and in yeah. work, even in those early roles that can really transition later into skills that help us in business. I didn't find investing until I had worked in, I waited tables, <laughs> I bartended. And I think some of those customer service, some of those skills of just talking to people mm -hmm. about what's going on in their lives. I feel I use those more as a financial advisor sometimes than I do some of the business courses that I took. How did Absolutely. you, um, when you, when you were in college, what were some of your favorite things, um, that, that you did even taking your daughter with you to school mm -hmm. and getting <laughs> that all done? Did, was there anything that was kind of impactful for you that kind of still resonates? Yeah. Today? 
Yes, it's, it's, it's a great point that you're bringing up. And just to, to go back to the way you said previously, I also thought I was going to go to law school. But looking back at it, I only thought that because I thought that's what society wanted of me and what my parents wanted of me. And I thought that's what would look good and satisfy all people. And I like that my life took a different direction, maybe because, you know, it was a lot of unexpected things happen, but sometimes they happen for a reason because I don't think I would have been happy or content or I would have had the same impact that, that I have today if I had chosen that route. So I'm glad that life detoured me. And some of the most eventful things in college was for me, you know, college for me was a haze because I was one of those uh, students that was only there to like take the class and then leave because I had somewhere to be. I, you know, I feel bad because I see students that just like myself today that are just so busy trying to hold a 40 hour job, you know, maybe they're untraditional students. Maybe they have a family that they have to get back to. And that was me. I was always running around. And and so I didn't have that full campus experience. Uh, But nonetheless, I tried to be a part of the campus as much as I could. And one of the things that really helped me was the entrepreneurship classes. I started taking entrepreneurship classes and in those classes, professors would let me work on a business plan. Professors would let me work on a pitch deck. Professors would let me work in a case study. And it was in those classes that um, I started to realize that I too could do something for myself, that it wasn't just for, you know, the corporate people that you see on TV, like, a girl from Worcester who was a young mom could be an entrepreneur too. And it was not just limited to something that I thought was so far reach. And to, to me, that was the most uh, impactful experience that I had in college. And today I'm actually part of that council at Worcester State University in hopes that we make it even better and stronger to allow more and more people to realize that entrepreneurship is for anybody and everybody that has an idea and has the determination to see it through. I love that. And that's great to actually be back, you know, all of those things that helped us or maybe gave us a little bit of, you know, uh, encouragement or maybe even just hope on our path to be able to go back and Mm. say like, no, you could actually do this. I remember somebody, somebody tweeted something that I had written and it was like, thanks for leading the way. And it was so strange. I wasn't even 40 yet. And I was like leading the way. (laughs) How sad is that in this industry? (laughs) But then I'm like, that's okay. The more visible Mm -hmm. we are, the more people can see women in, you know, different roles, non-traditional, you know, career paths, or maybe just making it work and then finding Mm -hmm. success whenever it comes. You know, I think, I think that, that is what people want to see more of less of the perfect and a little bit more of what's, what's real. And so that's great you know, that you, you know, yes, I, I think that also there's a lot of fear around failure when it comes to, mm-hmm. you know, people and success and money. And I talk to people all the time who, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to share any of the messy parts, but I think that that's something that I've worked even with a coach on who was just like failing is the way to be, to get success, the more times you put yeah. yourself out there to hear a yes or a no, um, eventually mm-hmm. you'll succeed. <laughs> Did you, as when you Absolutely. started and you mentioned 200 to $300 a day, that would have been a, that would have been a hell yes from me <laughs> when I graduated college for sure. <laughs> um, you know, when you first started out, was it, was it like, was everyone nice to you because you were the girl on the team no. or did it quickly, you know, turn into the real world. No. Yeah. So if anybody's listening and they're thinking about a career in the trades, 
the men will give you respect, like, because you're female, maybe one, two <laughs> days, but on day three, you become a man in their eyes, they could care less, yeah. you know, which is great which is great uh, because they're, they're allowing you to step up to the plate, right? You want, you want to see that the table is, you're not just going to get it because you're a female, you're going to get it because you have knowledge and you bring the same level of expertise that they do. And they ultimately will yield to you and respect you. I mean, it wasn't easy. Um, I have gone against the good and the bad, the bad being um, very old school mentality, general contractors or architects or engineers, who don't really like the fact that there's a woman on site, think that it brings too much emotion, drama. Um, and then I've had men on site that love it, you know, that are proud fathers of daughters or are super uh, cheerleaders to their spouses that are probably entrepreneurs or in similar, you know, positions. And those kind of guys, you know, are so supportive and they become your biggest supporters. Like they go out there and like tell people like, you got to, you got to call Greta, like make sure you get Greta on this project. Like nobody's going to do it better than Greta. And, and so I had both of those experiences and I think it was necessary to have both because I don't think I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations and I don't think anybody wakes up to be a bad person. I think it's just uh, based on experiences that they've had in life. And sometimes they have to be met with the right person with me and I would put them in their place with my knowledge, yeah. not, not, not with disrespect. And then I would change their point of view. So you know, if, if you're out there and somebody is not really accepting to you or what you're doing, I just think you got to give them a chance because I, I honestly believe that, of course, like if you're sick and you're deemed sick by a professional, that's a different story. But I don't think normal people wake up to be mean or evil. It just it just depends on how they're how they're raised. And, and, and it's up to sometimes one of us to change their thought and idea. And you don't know how impactful that could be. If you pull somebody aside sometimes, like I've had to do that sometimes where I had to pull somebody aside and tell them like, hey, not all immigrants think illegal immigration's right. Let me tell mm -hmm. you why. And then people are like, oh, wow, I respect that. Thanks for taking the time to, to, to teach me that or like uh, have this conversation with me. So yeah, it was necessary to be put down, but it was necessary because it allowed me to build relationship with the guys and the girls that supported what I was doing. And all those good and bad days ultimately led to getting respected by the team and earning a seat at the table. I think that's, that's great. I, I felt that even last week I was on a zoom call with a couple and their audio was on and not the video. And as soon as it started, I heard him say, that is not going to be our financial advisor. <laughs> and so me <laughs> 10, 15 years ago would have been like, everybody, every guy thinks that way. I need to stop mm -hmm. and go find a job that'll pay me a paycheck and just stop <laughs> doing this because there is always <laughs> going to be somebody who is just like, no, <laughs> I'm not working with a woman on this. I am not interested. And so we ended up having the conversation anyway. And I think now, like kind of going through a lot of that early on, I feel comfortable being like, I would do the best that I possibly could for them. And maybe they'll call back and become mm -hmm. clients and maybe they won't. And it's not up to me to get everyone to like me or accept me. But mm -hmm. I think we can certainly Absolutely. add a ton of, of value and maybe some different perspectives. What was missing in the, in the construction industry that you noticed? I think I've seen in the finance industry, there was like a, a complete <laughs> yeah. neglect of feelings and emotions. It was more numbers, statistics, returns, but most people make money decisions based on, they want to feel different. What did, did you see any mm -hmm. like glaring <laughs> places where you can make, yeah. make some strides in the industry and maybe dominate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
the basics were the lack of transparency and integrity, but I think that's in every business has those, you know, I don't think that it's just construction. I think you can find it in every type of business if if you're looking hard enough. So, but, but that's why, that's why there's the good and the bad. Right. So I, I don't like to say that it was the integrity and the transparency or the communication. Cause again, I don't think communication is just in construction. You can have bad communication in restaurants and everywhere, but where I really want it to be different is that I noticed that construction companies are, were very profit and loss balance sheet run, right? It was just about the number. Like it was just about the gross margins. It was just about like the percent that the salesperson was going to make. That's what it was all about. And I said, how can we create a company that doesn't run the relationship with the client based on this? Like, I understand this is important and I understand we need this to have a healthy business, but there's got to be more than just the balance sheet, right? There's got to be more than just the margins on the job. There was just got to be another way to do it. And, and that's what we really, that's where we really struck gold because at golden group, we don't, we don't really look at that. Like once we bid a project, we're no longer watching those numbers. Uh, once we book a project, we're no longer watching those numbers. We're we're focusing more on the relationship with the client. We're focusing more on a home run experience. Um, now we will review a project later and we will learn from it if it was good or bad. But ch- but we're not letting the profits or the losses um, delegate or you know set course of how the relationship is going to go with the client. Because I think what happens a lot in construction is that's when you tend to see errors because funds run out things were not quoted correctly. And what happens is the contractor starts to make cuts and, you know, or starts to do cheaper alternatives just to make up again for the profit. And I think that's an area where I strike, where I was able to strike gold. That was an area where I was, I was able to come in and do it differently because I'm not obsessed with profit and loss. I think if you're doing a great job, that's automatically a given. I'm obsessed with relationships and how many relationships can we build every single day and how many networks of people can we tap into every single day? That's what that's what I'm obsessed with, and that's what drives me every day. I think that's what will drive, and that really drives success. I do think that yes, looking at the budgets and the profit and losses is smart for every business. But you're right; once you start to become obsessed with that, and then the other pieces slip, or there's you know cheaper you know work done to try to do it. I think that's what customers remember. <laughs> and that's what mm-hmm. they tell their, their friends and people about. But if you're treated actually with, um, you know, real care and concern, people certainly remember that whether you're doing construction or, you know, working with children, any, any position, I think people really like to be, to feel mm-hmm. valued and heard. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's, that's wonderful. What are some of the things, um, that you've seen in the past year. I know it's been a very different, difficult year for some industries, great year for others. Like the stock market performed very well in 2020, despite the economy. And I've noticed a lot of people who are spending more time in their own home. Are you seeing any changes um, as far as your work or what people are looking for? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we are very, construction is very tied to real estate. So, and real estate's very tied to, you know, mortgage rates. So I think that uh, it was a win-win for all three of us, you know, with interest rates being the historical low and buyers still, you know, taking advantage, a lot of new, new first time home buyers taking advantage of the three, 5%, it would allow the market to have an incredible movement, right? It allowed the market to, to go into a lot of buying and selling. And every time people are buying and selling, the first thing that's always happening is, 
Um, people are either remodeling their homes to put on the market or remodeling their homes right after they purchase them. So we saw, we saw a uh, historical numbers. We saw, uh, you know, a very positive uh, market uh, in in construction and particularly in roofing. So it was a very it was very good time for us. But uh, that's not to say that we never anticipate bad days are coming. I mean, we are seeing a lot of. In, I'm already seeing a lot of numbers spike up. So it's, it's, it's a very big concern because we're seeing prices of lumber, prices of material are jumping at, you know, really, really high rates. So I don't know what this means for the future. Um, you know, this is the only concerning part because obviously at some point, all of this is going to be reflected right back to the consumer. Um, so it's, it's something that we're closely watching and we're trying to prepare as best for because right now we are seeing um, a lot of material uh, prices, we've already had increases over 20%. Wow. Yeah. I've definitely talked to some people who are looking to, you know, in financial planning, people have been reaching out um, more than I anticipated last year. And a lot of them now, because the budget and their life has shifted from travel and maybe dining out and things like that, they're looking at their home and those projects or those improvements that they've been thinking about mm-hmm. and like dreaming about and putting off and the actual like value that it could add to their property and their home. And uh, I think that that's something I have, you know, heard about the materials and the lumber and people are aware of it. Um, but I do think that they maybe are spending more time at home and being happy in your own home. And I talk to people about success and what they, what they dream about. When I talk to people who are happy in their own home, they seem to be the ones that get it <laughs> They're, you know, yeah, like if for you can sure. really, and that's, you know, with, with relationships, with your family, even with the physical space, if you're walking into a kitchen that you hate every day or something is falling apart, mm-hmm. um, you're going to feel that every day. So I do think it's a really great investment, but something to be taken very Absolutely. seriously and really looked at, and then, you know, work with the people who you feel will, will help you and, you know, and treat you treat you with respect. So how do you, um, Mm -hmm. and this is a question I have for, for any women business owner, when you first started out and I, I, I think the answer is usually yes. Did you, did you sell yourself short? I think a lot of us maybe don't assume people will want to work with us. And so when it comes to pricing and setting things like that, um, we're really unsure what to do. Do you have any tips for new entrepreneurs who might be a little bit afraid that no one is going to want to work with them or they might say no. Any <laughs> tips for those people? Um, yeah, the tip is you got to go get the people. <laughs> like, I think uh, uh, every time I even I consult, sometimes people come to me, they're like, I'm not going to have clients. I'm like, of course you're not. Like, if you're not going to go get them, they're not going to come to you, right? Like, the biggest thing about entrepreneurship is that people forget that, you know, it's it's true. People are might not, you might not be that lucky. People might not find you as easily as they might find somebody else. But that doesn't mean that there's no clients for you. It just means you have to work harder. You have to go find them. You have to show up at every event and any event and it doesn't matter maybe you have to show up to 30 events before you even get somebody that you know wants to do business with you or you have to make yourself um, you know vulnerable and out there and do a lot of you know I, I know people say they don't like free work but is it really free if you're gaining something out of it right like a client maybe show up and do some free webinars do some some you know workshops you never know so you know it's the same thing with me like nobody wanted to trust me as a roofer and work with my company I just meant that I had to work three times as hard to get even one client 
as somebody else who maybe was running a campaign at that time. You know, obviously tides have turned and now I'm in a better position. But if I had to do it again for a different business model, I would, you know, I I would do it again because to, to, to get the engine started, sometimes you just have to try harder than most. And I remember a story that my friend, you know, said, and his dad owned a restaurant. And he said, when my dad started his restaurant, we literally had to go to every single office building and like drop off like a free sampler of like, um, you know, our dishes, like our appetizers and in the hopes that somebody would come maybe in their next luncheon with, with, a, you know, to have lunch at our, at our restaurant. And it was a very tiring approach. It took them a lot of time, but you know, now 20 years later, they're one of the most successful restaurants. So it just depends. Um, you know, I understand that, you know, having clients is everybody's biggest fear, but if you want to settle that fear down is what are you willing to do to get clients? You know, how hard are you willing to work and where are you willing to go to get those clients? I guess that's the question that everyone should ask themselves. That's so, and I, I think that's true with having a network and showing up and doing, you know, things like webinars. And I think people have gotten more comfortable with it over the past year, mm-hmm. like showing up on video or things like that. That's so helpful for people who, like me, I didn't have a natural market. <laughs> I didn't have wealthy <laughs> family members who were going to just begin investing with me. Um, at <laughs> one point, and after college, I think I was probably doing the best out of anybody in my family. And it was just a, you had to really just keep showing up and just, I think that drive kind of has to become Absolutely. internal <laughs> and Absolutely. eventually people, I don't think people, you know, get tired of seeing people show up. And that's something that um, I've talked with a social media manager early this morning. And she was just like, the more you're visible, like people will remember you. It might take a couple months, might take, you know, weeks, but you kind of can stand out. And so I think that's one of the things that's important for, for entrepreneurs to remember is just to, you have to hustle a little bit and that's okay. <laughs> it can be- and, it, and it, and, and it takes time. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't able to see really a return until three years in. So I think it takes time. And, and I recall during the time when, when I was trying to invest in my company, the people would tell me to just give up because they were like, look, you made 17 grand last year. Like, I think, <laughs> I think that's a sign that you should stop doing this. Like, I mean, people would even do the breakdown. They'd be like, Oh, Greta, you make two cents per hour. Like, you know, just to be comical. But so I, and, and that's, that's, that's a real, that's a reality of entrepreneurship and how long are you willing to do it? And because it might be a while before the, you know, the sun really begins to shine, but are you willing to stand in the storm? And sometimes you might have to stand alone because maybe your parents won't believe in you. Your spouse won't believe in you, your sister, your brother, they won't believe in you because, you know, not because they don't want that for you, but maybe because that's their way of helping you and because they might think you're hurting. Right. So they might try to tell you like, just, just, you know, throwing the towel, like, it's okay. Let's, let's go to the next idea. But it, for me, it was, it was something that I kept telling myself, like, I, I, I can't give up. And, you know, it took three years. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It took three yeah. years before I really started seeing um, numbers shift in a way that it was beneficial for me to get a real paycheck. Yeah. If people will hear three years and think, oh, that's not a lot of time, but it definitely is when you're living and surviving. <laughs> and you're, you know, I think, yes. and, and people who've never experienced that paycheck to paycheck type of, of feeling. And especially my, mm-hmm. my parents were entrepreneurs. So I never grew up with a steady paycheck in our household. So I would see months of no new clients or business <laughs> being shut down or things like that. And I mean, those are long years, but exactly. I think that when you don't give up or you do stick with it, that that can be, that could be really um, just something that other people aren't willing to do. (laughs) 
and it Absolutely. kind of can set you apart. I am um, now I, but I know what you're saying about certain people, not necessarily being your biggest cheerleaders, you know, sometimes your parents or your, your family might not know why you're doing what you're doing or think there's an easier way for you. And maybe they suggest it mm-hmm. out of love, but I, I find that sometimes our best, mm-hmm. you know, people to reach out to, they might be strangers. <laughs> they might be completely unknown, but it's nice. Even just doing this podcast is other people listening. Like they might not know us, but they might say like, yeah, I know, I know what that feels like, or I've been there too. So Absolutely. it can be really helpful to just, to just be vocal and be, be out there and, and meet those, those groups. Absolutely. Did you have anybody in your past though, um, that kind of inspired you, whether a family member or anybody that you kind of got a little bit of your, you know, determination from? I mean, I, I, it's my mom, you know, not, (laughs) um, not that my mom is entrepreneurial, um, at all. You know, she's very black and white. She's a surgeon, but she was a surgeon in, in a, you know, in a third world country and in a time of war. So, you know, you're not doing it for the fancy paychecks, like in the United States, you're doing it because it's your duty, right? That's what you've sworn to do. So, um, you know, we were, like I said, we grew up poor. It didn't mean that we were rich just because my mom was a doctor in Albania. And, but my mom went to work every day and she stayed in surgery every day. And she missed my, even my kindergarten graduation. Like, I mean, she missed a lot of stuff, but it was okay because somebody would come to me and they'd be like, Hey Greta, your mom's in surgery. Like somebody came from an accident, like, you know, but, and I was always okay with that because the seeing that kind of determination that my mom had for someone else's life that inspired me because I was never angry. Like as a little kid, I was never angry that my mom couldn't make it because once she went into surgery, sometimes she'd be in surgery 15 hours, you know, but it was okay Mm -hmm. because seeing how much determination my mom had to save a stranger's life, and to give them, you know, to give their family, you know, their son or daughter back, like that, that type of determination fueled me. And, and you know, and, and I, ne- I saw that my mom never did it for money because she always wore the white coat, you know, and she did it. And she did it in a country where, you know, they, they lack tools sometimes, they lack proper equipment, but she, nonetheless, you know, she persevered. And having that kind of role model in my life proved to me that you can do anything and you can fight. It is just a matter of, how it's just a matter of that some people are lucky and others have to wait 15 times, but that's okay. Because I'm the, yeah. I'm that kind of person that I'll wait till my 15th time. I'm not going to get discouraged because it happened to you when your first try, because that's your story and I'm happy for you. But my story might be that 15th, 15th try. And I'm, and I'm willing to, to make that sacrifice. Yeah. I think that's, it's good. It's good to see. And I say this too, to other parents, you know, I have two children of my own and, and some people when it comes to money or anything, they're so, they're so afraid to, to, you know, tell their children or try to be real about it. And I think that that's something that helped me. I always kind of understood like why dad was, you know, working or why things would happen because sometimes you're right. Like your mother, she's in surgery. Like this is the, it's just real life. And, you know, it's not always, Mm -hmm. it's not always what we want, especially as kids. But I think that sometimes you just get a different understanding and appreciation for hard work. And instead of just feeling, (laughs) feeling ignored. So I think that the people who are looking for new jobs right now or starting up businesses or working the long hours, you're, 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 you're still the perfect parent. For those kids. Oh, know? yes, absolutely. And to, to just add to that, I would like to say that I actually expose my children mm-hmm. to all the financials in our family. And I love it when they're talking about the second quarter closing soon. I love it when they're talking about like uh, 
how much deposits we're going to put down if we buy this investment property and like all oh, the returns going to come in 9.6 years. And keep in mind, my, my son is five and my daughter is 14. Yeah. And, the, you know, I, I was one of those parents, maybe because I, I was a little younger and I always exposed my children to all the financial conversations. But what I got out of that is I got too many adults who understand like why we have to buy that or why that's not worth it. Like my five-year-old will be like, oh, that toy is $25. Ah, not worth it. Yeah. You know, like, or like, <laughs> or like sometimes, you know, just to make a, cause yeah, you said you have a lot of women listening. Sometimes I'll buy like very nice shoes and he'll be like, mom, what 500. Okay. That's totally <laughs> worth it for mom. You know? Cause he understands that like, uh, you know, mom worked hard. She really likes yeah. those shoes. And, and, you know, like it's, it's, it's to me when you have financially, um, you know, and, and you have financials and you people and your children understand them, it will create such a, a positive impact in their life because they will appreciate money and but they will also understand money and time and they'll be able to see possibilities where others can't. Like my children are always coming up with business ideas to me. They're like, if we make this page, if we do this for you, will you pay us? Like it's you know, it's kind of sucks because they always want money yeah. from me. But hey, it's a it's a good it's a good thing. Uh, it's a good mindset that they're already trying to come up with many businesses that they create revenue. Yeah. No, I remember I would I would play boss and I'd sit at my dad's desk and just pretend to like make businesses because that's that's all I knew. Like I knew from a very young age that like creating value makes money. I never thought that like time did just because my father would sometimes mm-hmm. have nothing going on. And sometimes he'd be working and, and reading and studying and learning something new. And so even just the thought of like, that is so foreign to a lot of people. It's like, no, I trade my hours. <laughs> I trade my time for, for work. And it's like, well, you know, just even, even exposing kids and having some sort of financial literacy and thinking about value and time and money it's, it's enormous. And I think that some people expect that to be taught in schools. And I think a lot of it can happen at home is just, just by being open. So that's so wonderful. How do you, um, how do you see yourself investing in, in yourself or your business this year? What are some of your favorite ways to take care, not just of yourself, but just to always keep, you know, keep making progress? Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm huge on investing on the business. Uh, you know, I, I remember even I was having conversation about this yesterday too. I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur that I consider growth, the ultimate success. And I'm always seeing how can we invest in growth? So one of the ways that I'm constantly investing in my team is by equipment, more vehicles, but most importantly, right now I'm looking to expand our offices, right? Like I've listened to them. They want a better place. So I'm like, how can, can I buy a building? You know, I would ideally like to buy a building that has yard because I want them to be able to walk out in the yard and like, just have green grass and just like get a cup of coffee outside. So I'm constantly listening. You know, I I think that if you're an entrepreneur and you're a medium sized corporation, you have to realize that like the long game is quality of life for the people that let you do your, you know, your job, because if you want to really enjoy your your job as a leader and be able to take those weekend getaways or like you know or just disappear for a week at a time you can only successfully do that if you have the right culture and the right people working for you and the right people will be those that feel respected and are compensated for the time they place in your establishment as well and the only way you can do that is if you're constantly reinvesting your brand so it goes so much more than just reinvesting in you know marketing equipment tools technology it goes into reinvesting in the, the, the spaces where they're working and then also their paychecks, you know, I, <laughs> let's be honest, like at the end of the day, people want money in their, in, in their bank account too. So you have to be very in tune with that 
and make sure you're not just giving minimal bonuses, but bonuses that stay in trend and compensations that stay in trend with what everybody else is making. Um, uh, so you don't lose good talent. That's so smart, especially these days where I keep hearing things like nobody wants to come back to work. But then I know some some people that are running businesses where they really they they pay their employees fairly. They give them a good working environment. They work really hard to make it, you know, to invest in their people and they're getting applications. <laughs> they're not, you know, so I think that that's something <laughs> to really, you know, there's been so much focus on corporate profit and things like that and trying to, you know, make sure that the workers are just there. But if you really treat them like they're, they're not expendable, like that they're, they're just as valued as all of the other equipment and things that you're investing Absolutely. in. Um, then you're going to get that talent and you're going to keep it. So definitely a great outlook to have as a leader. And I can't see, uh, you know, I think that that will just lead to more success um, and happy employees and happy clients in the end. So how can people learn more about you or follow you on social media if, if you have that for, you, for your company? Of course. Yeah. Golden Group Roofing uh, on Instagram and Facebook and goldengrouproofing.com. And then you know, they can always reach out to me on LinkedIn, Greta by Rami. So it's, it's, I'm always available. I'm always very vocal and passionate and I always try to be transparent. I also think that's another tip I can give you. I know a lot of people say they're transparent, but transparency also means being front and center with your brand and letting your face and voice be heard. And if it means being judged, okay, so be it, but you're there, you're be, you're, you're represented. I think sometimes I go into a lot of companies and they say they're so transparent and but I can't even find the CEO's like information anywhere or like the you know or the managers like it's so difficult you you can't even find a proper fit picture so I think you know transparency goes a long way than what it used to go before transparency today means having having a Twitter having a LinkedIn having an Instagram you know and being vocal and letting people see the real you and what you're all about. That's such great advice. And so thank you so much for joining. Yes, definitely go follow Golden Group Roofing. Take a look at what they're doing. I also love your dog posts, obviously. (laughs) I think there's so much. It's fun to actually see the real human side of businesses. And I think that that's just going to continue to grow and to to be helpful for everyone who's trying to reach their ideal clients. So of course. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you everyone for listening to Modern Money with Misty Lynch. If you're looking to find room in your budget to build a business, market yourself, invest in yourself, if you're even looking to change careers, I'd love to sit down with you and do some financial planning. Or if you're a business owner who wants to offer more benefits for your employees, we're definitely looking at offering more things like 401ks and IRAs to help your employees invest in themselves and in their future. So Um, Thank you. Head over to mistylynch.com if you'd like to hear more or set up some time to meet. And thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk next week. Hey, do you have a lot of beautiful dreams about what you want your life to look like, but feel challenged in making it happen because of your limitations in confidence around money, power, and success? You've got to check out the Modern Money Coaching Program, where Misty combines her certifications as a certified financial planner and life coach to help members realize a fun and full life is possible for them. Each month, you will get in-depth training, workbooks, and weekly group coaching opportunities to help you bring those dreams to life. Head over to mistylynch.com to join us.
you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs>